The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our city. Good morning, Boston. What's happening? Welcome to the Boston Podcast. This is Dave, your host. I am just a guy from Boston, and you're listening to the Boston Podcast. The Greater Boston Area's only daily podcast that comes out Monday through Friday, as far as I know. Still looking for another one? Haven't heard of one? If you've heard of one, drop me a line at david at pod617.com. Or go to our website, pod617.com. Better yet, you can find out how to produce your own podcast, which is what we do here in our Westwood studios. I want to take a quick minute to mention our sponsor before I introduce our absolutely fabulous guest. The United States Postal Service is a supporter of the show, the second largest employer in the United States offering paid training and ways to move up. Apply today at usps.com slash careers. The U.S. Postal Service deliver for the nation. Today in studio, I have the author of a great book called The Thriving Hive. Her name is Mari Ryan. Mari, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, David. Delighted to be here. And if you don't mind, let's not tell anyone that I mispronounced your name several times and we had to start the show over. It's a peek behind the curtain. I'm not perfect, people, okay? Uh, Her name is spelled M-A-R-I and it's lovely and I'm sorry I mispronounced it. No worries. Never (laughs) never again. (laughs) So the book is is called The Thriving Hive, How People-Centric Workplaces Ignite Engagement and Fuel Results and uh, The Thriving Hive. I understand there's a lot of uh, buzz around this book. Thank you. Thank you, I'll be here all week. Try the veal. So um, this is interesting, and here's a teaser for you folks. Later in the show, we're going to break down moments from the, the, the smash runaway hit The Office from NBC. Uh, you know, of course, the run of the show is over, but it lives on in reruns and on Netflix and everywhere. And uh, we're going to take a look at some of The Office moments uh, and the dysfunction therein, and Mari's going to see if she can uh, cure the problems there. Although, I don't know, Michael Scott is really too far gone in a couple of those moments, but we'll have some fun with that. That's coming up later in the program. So tell us what this uh, book is all about. We, it's a Thriving Hive, and in, in just I haven't read it yet, but I've kind of skimmed, and I get the gist of it. And it, it's a very clever way of presenting, I guess, well-functioning offices and not so well-functioning offices, but tell us about it. Well, I wrote this book with the idea of telling the story about what the experiences are for both leaders and employees in an organization. Mm-hmm. And I, I segmented this into two, two different hives. So it's, it's written as a parable, and it's uh, set in two different beehives. And we have the alive hive mm-hmm. and we have the dive hive. Ooh. Now, I bet you and yeah. I and many of our audience members have worked in a dive hive. Yeah, well, I, I can't wait to, talk, to get into this because <laughs> office, office politics um, uh, fascinates me and office dysfunction fascinates yeah. me. And I've had great bosses. I've had really shitty bosses. I've been a great boss. I've been a shitty <laughs> boss. And it is, you can study this for years and years. And that's why we need experts like you to help sort it out because 
it is uh it's so complicated right it i mean is. sorting out yeah. personalities and it seeing is. different things motivate different people so we've got the two hives so we've got the two hives um and what i, I start with the dive hive because i want to and this is really a caricature in many ways because it's kind of black and white the way I've portrayed it. And life isn't so black and white. There's much more gray in life. Mm-hmm. But we start with Queen Cruella, who okay. is the CEO <laughs> of the Dive Hive, mm. and she's driving her workers to their death Jeez. to get to achieve the profit goals that they've set. Right. So it's all about profit. The entire purpose of their being is about profit. Oh, yeah. It's not about making good honey. It's not about um, pollinating flowers and plants uh, to you know help with the environment and create food, you know food that people can eat. It's about profit. Yeah. So I'm that's a- that's kind of the caricature of what many businesses are. It's all about the numbers. It's all about the profit. Drive to the numbers. Uh- I'm reminded of the moment in the TV show. It's all about TV in my head, Mari, so apologies. But um, <laughs> were you a fan of uh, the show Mad Men? Actually, I wasn't. No, you weren't? Okay. I've not seen So it. No. Uh, another good show depicting office life, this, of course, in the 60s, and it kind of followed the story of um, uh, a secretary who went on to become copywriter and kind of moved up to the ranks, but not without challenges and she is trying to express this uh, character played by elizabeth moss her name's escaping me all of a sudden the character's name and it'll come to me anyway she goes into her boss who's the main character don draper the very dashing john ham mm-hmm. and she says she's trying to tell him that she's not appreciated she's never thanked she's never mm-hmm. told she does mm-hmm. she's never told she does good work and where's the reward and he gets angry and he says that's what the money's for in other words, we pay you. You yeah. show up. You right. do your job. We pay you. And the th- in, in that moment, his sort of MO was laid bare that he, he was like Queen Cruella, exactly. I would think, and that, yes, we are going to pay you, but you get, you, that's what you get, get what you deserved, and then just go home. That's right. Right. And that, you know, it's, the reality is that there are still a bunch of folks just like that, lead, yeah. leading and managing companies. And, uh, we, we get that employees can vote with their feet and that they're not going to tolerate that Right, it's anymore. not indentured servitude right, it's so they not. can leave. It's not. And Character's name was Peggy, by the way. I, I haven't completely lost my marbles. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> so, you know, employees, you know, are really demanding much more in the workplace today. You know, we can give credit to, in this case, the millennial generation for, you know, putting some demands on us to be able to create workplaces where work-life balance is a real thing, where we have flexible work schedules, given the nature of the business supports that. Not all businesses obviously can do that. But where we really are caring for the people in the workplace. Now, some people think millennials are pains in the asses that are entitled. But what you're saying, what you're <laughs> well, saying is... Some even, may feel that way. Even yeah. if they, well, some you, are. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're saying even if they are, that there's a, a good byproduct to it and they're tugging employers exactly. in right. that direction. Right. It's not all about the compensation. Right. You know, they want a workplace where there's a purpose and the purpose is not profit. So in, in the way I portray this in the Alive Hive is that they have a purpose that is bigger than profit, that is, you know, how they're making a contribution to the, to the world. So the, in this case, Queen Letty, who is leading the Alive Hive, mm-hmm. and be in, in reality, in, in 
beehives, there isn't an arc, you know, hierarchical structure like that. Queen, the queen's not in charge, so it's. I'm taking liberties with this that. Sorry, a, sorry, beekeepers. This, yeah, this is not a scientifically yeah, uh, accurate. Uh, asking dive. for forgiveness from all the beekeepers of the world. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and uh, but what she does is on the first day when bees start their their new jobs after they've you know come out of the uh, the brood is she takes them to see the place where they are having impact in the world. Oh. She takes them to a farmer's market and they and they go out and they do this field trip yeah. where they see the fruits and vegetables that people are eating as a result of the pollination that the bees have done with these, um, you know, the plants. So that their purpose is to create an environment where there is healthy food for people to eat mm-hmm. so they can have healthy lifestyles. And that's their purpose. Now, they also happen to, just as a, a byproduct of this, make really good honey yep. as well. Their honey is better than the dive hives honey. Of course. Yeah. It has to be. Mm-hmm. Right. It's artis- artisanal honey. Ooh. It wins awards. Uh, and <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's how you keep everybody interested is that it's going to win an award. And it's, That's right. So they're, mo- they're motivated. They want to do better. Yeah. So they, they have, a, pr- they have yeah. a purpose. Right. And in, in today's workplaces, people want to feel connected to the purpose of the organization. Mm-hmm. They don't want to know that they're just lining the pockets of some billionaire to be able to, you know, have the stock price go up. Mm-hmm. They want to know that there is a purpose. They're connected to that purpose and that when they show up in the morning, the work that they do is contributing to that purpose. And so the the bees in the dive hive aren't necessarily paid worse than, or maybe they are, I don't know. But but probably but, are. but they yeah. probably oh, but they probably are um, because it's all about the budget over at the dive hive, but so yeah, tell me a little bit more. Give me another, at least one more example of uh, in the uh, it, it's the alive hive. That's the good one. Yeah. Was, was it okay? Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Uh, why do bees like showing up? I love that we're talking about bees, and it's to remind my my, uh, my son will love this podcast because he's a huge fan of uh, Bee Movie, the Jerry Seinfeld uh, mm-hmm. movie, which was okay. uh, a great uh, great movie. Yeah, it is pretty good. Pretty pretty good take on what it might be like um if you humanized bees and turned and gave them senses of humor but anyway um i'm sure in the alive hive they have a lot of good laughs over there because it's a good place to work but yeah tell me uh, give me another example of why it's what's uh, a positive trait there why you'd want to work there how you're motivated there well the the other elements that really come into play are around the communication that goes on within the organization. Okay. So the leaders are very visible. Queen Letty's walking around a lot. So uh, are other leaders in the organization. So the bees can interact with those leaders on a regular basis. There's very transparent communication. They have a mechanism by which they communicate all the operational aspects. So they've mm. got the hone board in the honey lounge uh, where they can... You really committed to this. I really did. <laughs> I tell yeah. you, it took a lot of work to come up with all of this. <laughs> yes. And uh, they, so they can hang out there. They can collaborate there. They can come together with their colleagues. You know, and this is another thing we're seeing in the workplace. You know, people aren't just sitting in cube farms anymore where the walls are, you know, six foot tall and you can't see anybody. Yeah. You know, we're really needing need much more to create workplaces where people have the opportunity to collaborate. I'm seeing this in, you know, when I'm 
visiting client sites and doing, you know, I do strategy work around creating cultures of well-being. And when I go into a work, I'm working with a client right now in New Jersey, and and some of their buildings have been redone, and they have, you know, low um, open queue, yeah. you know, open workspace kinds of things. And other of their buildings look like something right out of the 90s. Yeah. And it's so interesting to be able to see that contrast and feel the energy difference in the way people are working. You know, where you walk into the place where there's high cubes and it's really quiet and nobody's talking to you. You know, it's yeah. just... And yet you walk into the place where there's the open space and there's people hanging out together and they're, you know, they're working or they're standing at, you know, stand up tables where they're having a meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it gives such a different feel and such a different energy to the way people come together in the workplace to collaborate. And yeah. that turns, you know, that's engagement, that's productivity. Those are the things that really create pardon the pun, the buzz the in the buzz, workplace. The positive buzz yes. and the, the, the sweet honey of reward. So wh- where do you stand on open workplaces generally? I mean, you just said some positive things about them, but I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So my former workplace, I used to work at uh, Alliance Bernstein, the financial firm in the Boston office, and uh, my girlfriend Brenda still works there. And she has told me about the changes there and what they did was complete open office. Now in the past they had, it wasn't the high cubes. There were, it was more like desks and kind of a, kind of a bullpen area uh, for the associates and the admins. But every one of the advisors who kind of really drive the operation and the managers would have offices and kind of lining the the outskirts, and there were every office had a, a clear window, so you you never had complete privacy, which was kind of the the point, right? They don't want they in like the I guess the signal it would send if you shut your door and you're not to be seen right. for half the day <laughs> or whatever it is, right? right. But got rid of all of that all of that and so they do have like little huddle rooms that you can sneak into if you need to make a private phone conversation i it was i imagine a lot of people over there i imagine there were uh feather feathers ruffled to use another uh, animal <laughs> animal simile um uh, uh, sorry that was a metaphor Jeez, God, I'm, I'm losing my touch is, is it worth doing that in, in your opinion a wholesale open office plan so there's love-hate relationships with this open office concept. Yeah. And uh, it, in many ways, it's not just about tearing down, you know, part of it is about tearing down the walls, Yeah. right? Um, it's Literally and figuratively. It, yes, both, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. exactly. Um, but it has to be done in a way that provides some workspace where teams can come together um, with some sort of closed wall, so some sort of conference rooms. Um, there needs to also be some private spaces, so some place where right. someone can go and take a personal phone call. Yeah. You know, there do, there do have to be those those kinds of things. I've you know heard situations <laughs> where um, you know when the open office setting was was implemented, that everyone was given noise canceling earphones. <laughs> now you know what a signal does that send to your colleagues when you put the headphones on and you know. 
like you're heads down, don't bother me. Yeah, I think that's even worse. Right? Well, in some yeah. ways it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, big piece of what we're trying to accomplish here is collaboration. You know, you're trying to get people to to work together and um, and to be engaged with each other. And I've seen it work very successfully, but I think it, everyone has to, there are considerations, you know, on both sides that you need to, to take into, into play. I agree. I, I, yeah, it, some of these things can be taken too far because, as, as you know well, in the business world, it's like, I don't know if, if it's not quite on point to say it's fear of missing out, but this corporation will be like here that this other corporation did this thing. And, and I come from the world of law, and as soon as one law firm gave all their associates Blackberries, remember Blackberries? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> you really Vaguely, could, but yeah, yes. <laughs> you could, I had a lot of trouble with uh, big thumbs, small keys on that thing, but... As soon as one firm got it, the other firm was like, and so now it's like kind of the buzz, the buzz uh, to use the term again, um, in corporate America is the open office plan, and and uh, you know the way you put it, it's got some good reasoning behind it. Mm-hmm. So I can see what um, and this you don't have to give examples from the book, but uh, I've always been a believer that with a little bit of creativity, you can reward employees without money. Absolutely. So tell me about that. Well, you know, a big piece of making people feel that they care is making them feel valued. And we do that in in a lot of different ways. And it's not just about the money, right? So that's very 60s of, you know, it's in your paycheck mm-hmm. type of thing. And that's part of the reason we see many benefits. And benefits take many different shapes and forms. Many of them are financial. Mm-hmm. You know, that's been, you know, that's the culture we live in in the United States is you have, you know, your financial well-being is cared for. They used to call them welfare benefits, mm-hmm. Right. Health and well, you know, welfare was, you know, what the employer provided. They provided health insurance and then, you know, your compensation um, covers some of that. But today we really need to be thinking about how do we show people we care in, in ways that are part of the everyday conversation? You know, that's not just this once a year sit down and give me a check mark on, you know, the column and say you're going to get a single-digit raise. You right, know. right. It's, it's about having conversations on an ongoing basis, creating the environment where people feel like they are being recognized and valued. And formal programs do help with that. You know, the, the really good places to work create really good recognition opportunities. And it's not just top-down recognition, it's peer-to-peer recognition. Mm-hmm. So today we see a lot of this, um, you know, and there's many companies that put structure around this and provide systems to do this now, where you have the opportunity to recognize peers for, you know, the work that they're doing. And then that can, you know, tie to some sort of, whether it's a monetary award or it's just a recognition kind of thing. But this whole sense of fee- of feeling valued yeah. and, and also feeling like you belong. Right. You know, that's as human beings, we want to feel like we belong in a place. You know, if you've ever worked in a place where, you know, people didn't talk to you or, you know, everybody just did their job and then went home, you know, you don't feel like there's that sense of camaraderie. There's, yep. you know, that's having the social aspects of, you know, going out and, you know, with your colleagues at lunch or going out after work or, you know, doing volunteer work in the community together. All of those things help create that sense of belonging, mm-hmm. and that is such an important part 
of helping people feel that they're valued. Yeah, we used to do, when I ran Lawyers Weekly, we used to do a volunteer day where we would Mm -hmm. go to like, we went to the Greater Boston Food Bank and you kind of, for a day you go and you work kind of on an assembly line, like sorting food. And it, that was perfect because it wasn't, (laughs) you know, it was, we worked hard, but it wasn't, listen, 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 it wasn't grueling. We're like picking up cans and putting them over here or whatever we're doing. Um, But, you know, that whole day, you know, you got to, hang out with people, right. everybody had a smile on their face, you know, you break for lunch and have pizza or whatever you do. Um, we, you know, in running a newspaper, I was faced with a, a challenge, maybe more so than other places, because there wasn't a heck of a lot of money to go around, especially as print started going, <laughs> started uh, becoming out of vogue. And so I remember people telling me, you know, get creative there are ways you can do this and Mm -hmm. the simplest one of all is you call in you know an employee and say terry can you stop by my office when you get a chance and so terry thinks she's in trouble and so terry comes in and i say you know i just want to tell you last week you did such a good job you know Mm -hmm. you had your your you had the place running like a a well-oiled machine the paper came out great and i really like what you did on page seven with blah 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 and that's all you need to do. And she's going to go, whoa. She's going to go, okay, cool. And so she's going to go back. And then let's say it works and she's even more motivated. Mm -hmm. And so, and yet you couldn't give her a raise really because the budget didn't permit it. And not only that, but you really only have, you know, so many thousand dollars in the budget for cash bonuses as a reward. Mm -hmm. So what I used to do is, this wasn't my idea, and none of this is revolutionary, but people I think forget how easy it is you know, call her into the office, you know, Terry, you know, uh, uh, it's a Friday, it, you know, here we are, it's 11 a.m. Um, I want you to take the rest of the day off, you know, we'll be nice. fine without you, Terry. Yeah. And um, we, you know, it's not much, but um, here's a gift card. It's 150 bucks, you nice. know, yeah. go, you know, t- take your daughter out to dinner, take your, your husband out to dinner, go to the movies, whatever you want to do, enjoy the rest of the day. And all of a sudden, that, I mean, that, Right. You know, she'll remember that all year. Exactly. And then and then the cool thing is like, you know, two weeks later, Terry screws something up. You bring in the office and you're like, you know, I think we could have done this better. Let me explain why. She's gonna wanna she's gonna be motivated to fix the problem exactly. and not be pissed off. Yeah. Right? She's engaged, yeah. right? Because you're making her feel valued and that's yeah. so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just really critical and, and the, you know, it doesn't have to be about money. You know, the time off is is a nice gesture, and that's something that people really appreciate. You know, sometimes, you know, in a larger organization, I'm seeing this a lot, is people want swag. They want something that has the company name on it because they feel connected to the organization. And when, I mean, it could be water bottles, it could be, you know, a fleece or a T-shirt or something, but you know, it's little things like that that actually sometimes really get people excited because it's part of that making them feel like they belong here. Yeah, and what does it cost you? It often costs you nothing. Yeah, Yeah, so cheap. Pennies on the dollar. So cheap. Uh, One other thing I just want to mention in 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 researching my book, I spent a lot of time interviewing CEOs and asking them what does it take to create a high performing organization. And one of the conversations was with the CEO of a pharmaceutical company in Maryland. And one of the things that they did, they, at the time I spoke with them, they had about 400 employees. And this was a really hands-on CEO. Like, he interviewed everybody who, who joined the company, mm-hmm. which I, of course, you know, wondered, like, as you grow, is that sustainable? 
but they had some really interesting things they do. And one of the things that they do, because it's it, because it's a pharmaceutical company, their goals are really clear. Mm. And they knew, you know, I mean, it's 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 a high risk kind of thing. You can work for years on some formulation and then it doesn't solve the problem, you know, the medical problem that you're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. They would take um, a bunch of their employees every Friday and they would go bowling. Yeah. Like an hour and a half. Yeah. They'd someplace like really close. They'd just like walk down the street and they would go bowling for an hour and a half. Smart. Everybody can bowl, by the way. Not everybody can bowl well. No, not listen, well. You can't yeah, bowl yeah, well, but, every, but you it's, can bowl, right? It's the kind of thing. Like not everybody can golf. Like I cannot golf. Yeah, like I, I will embarrass it. myself and and throw clubs into the woods, but right. and hurt people. And right. hurt people. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which would be bad. Uh, but anybody can uh, bowl. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's so neat because it brings people together in this non-work setting. It's completely social. It's fun. You're engaged in what you're doing, so you're very present in the moment. You're not thinking about the what's back on my desk that I or the thing I got to get done by three o'clock today. You just go and have fun. Yeah. And it is such a neat way. And it's become such a part of the culture in that organization that they do this and they bring people together in that way. So you get to meet people you wouldn't normally necessarily, you know, get to meet. And it just becomes part of who they are. I have this memory of um, local company here, uh, of course, Jordan's Furniture. Jordan's Furniture, Waltham and Avon. Um, you know, grew up listening to their ads, Barry, Barry and Elliot, of course, and one of them still involved. I can't remember which. Anyway, uh, there was a story in the Globe. We're probably going back ten or twelve years about how once a year they would fly all of their employees to, I want to say, Bermuda uh, for the day, and just fly back at night. So, wow. so now hmm. that's not cheap. Not every company can do that, but you can kind of tell that. Uh, it wasn't cheap, but it also didn't kill them because you, they didn't stay overnight. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you didn't have to deal with are you gonna uh, are they allowed to bring significant others? No, it's a day trip, and mm-hmm. it's kind of wacky to to take a day trip to Bermuda. But that, but um, and then they did a shrewd thing. They invited a Boston Globe columnist to come with them <laughs> one year, and of course that column is going to come out pretty interesting and and positive. And it was all about how. You know, they, they, you know, just, they had this private beach ready to go, volleyball, you know, um, you know, beers and barbecue and whatever they did. And then they fly back. And, Mm -hmm. um, and that would be the type of thing that would make people say, that's the kind of place I want to work. Right. Right. Well, it, it creates that social, you know, one, it's, it's, it's a message that says we care about you. You know, it's it's a stepping away. It's okay to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, we can do that. We can have these opportunities to just kick back and, you know, get to know each other as individuals, not just in the context of our work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, coming up, I have a guest in the studio who climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And, spoiler alert, it's the same guest I've already been talking to. But before we get there... You didn't see that coming, did you, listeners? Before we get there, I need to tell you about the U.S. Postal Service, our sponsor who supports the Boston Podcast. They're the second largest employer in the United States. Offering paid training and ways to move up, apply today at usps.com slash careers. Excuse me. From mail carriers to corporate management, the USPS works together to provide efficient, affordable service to the American public. The workers are the backbone of its service. And the USPS wants to develop an advanced careers, so its development programs train and prepare employees for promotions and growth in a variety of business areas. Everything you need to know is at the website USPS.com. 
com slash careers. It is the policy of the Postal Service to provide equal employment opportunity and prevent employment discrimination. See, the U.S. Postal Service, Mari, pays attention to <laughs> the health and well-being and mental health and mental well-being of their employees, and it's a good workplace. It's a great place to work. Postal Service seeks to attract and retain a workforce in which the employees respect and values each other's differences and work to promote collaboration, flexibility, and fairness. So that all employees are able to participate and contribute to their full potential, apply today. The website, once again, usps.com slash careers, the United States Postal Service, deliver for the nation. So, Mari, before we started recording, you told me you, you like to walk long distances, which is um, a terrific way to stay in shape. I would much rather walk than run because I can't stand running. So I'll do, like, people make fun of me, like, you went uh, on the treadmill, you went for a run, I, yeah, no, I ran a little, I, mostly I walked, <laughs> I was on my phone, but I kept walking, you know, I walked for a while. But this Mount Kilimanjaro thing, how did this happen? Well, it was um, a number of years ago, and it was a me- metaphor for uh, a big birthday, a milestone birthday. Oh. And I wanted to do something big, so it felt like, um, let me see if I can find something that's going to be significant and also challenge me. And what I loved about it was I had known people who had um, done the trip, mm-hmm. um, but also in the town that I live in, there's a um, travel agency that specializes in trips to Tanzania. Okay. And they, it's a family-owned business. And they had, um, there was a video that I had seen of the daughter in this family climbing Mount Kilimanjaro with a, a local boy who, uh, from Tanzania, and they were 12 years old. Oh, my goodness. And I thought, if, if a 12-year-old can do right, it, right. I can do then this. You, then you can do it. Wow. I can do this. And um, I... Now, is it is it super cold temperatures? No, you okay. know the the interesting thing about Kilimanjaro is while it's you know the highest peak in Africa, it's um, an eight day. It was like an eight day walk, and oh, okay. it, you know while you're you know you're getting to eight the days. yeah, okay. so we're eight days on the mountain. <laughs> right, summit is on day seven. Uh, so most of the time that you're on the mountain, you're just walking, and it's about acclimatization to the altitude. So you start at about 7,000 feet, and the, the summit is um, just 19,500 feet or so. And you're camping out like everything yep, you have yep. is on your backs, the tents and well, all that Well, no, no, you're just a whole crew of people who yep. are carrying all those things. And Okay. They're not uh, Sherpas in Tanzania. Uh, no, they're, they're porters, porters. Porters. Okay. Yeah, the porters. and Well, there's porters, there's cooks, there's guides. There's a whole... You know, crew, a lot yeah. of people mm-hmm. to support um, to support the guests, and the interesting piece was that there was really only one very hard day, and that was the day we went from fifteen thousand feet to nineteen thousand feet, mm-hmm. and we had to change our route because there had been uh, li- uh, there had been a rock slide on the original route that we were planning to take, so we had to take a different route, and it was uh, it was sa- like sandy scree, so you'd step. And it, you'd kind of, it's like walking up a sand dune. You know, Ooh. you'd kind of step and then slide back a little and step and slide back yeah. a little. So it felt like it was taking forever. Right. Um, and it, you know, it was, it was a long, it was a long day. And then, you know, you get to the edge of the caldera um, at uh, 18,500 feet. Um, and then you go down into the crater, which is not every group that goes camps in the crater. So this was kind of a special thing. Is so there's a crater 
kind of at the top. Yeah, because it's it's yeah. yeah it's so you're you're. Wait, is it an inactive volcano? No, it's not no. active. No, oh, right. no, no, no. But was it a volca- oh, yeah, volcano? Yeah, yeah, it, it was. was a volcano. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and it, so it, we we camped that night in the crater. So we're cool. sleeping at eighteen thousand five hundred feet. And there's glaciers there, but it's it. Um, there there had been snow at the overnight at the fifteen thousand foot. Um, camp mm-hmm. but there wasn't really a lot of snow uh, there was some but not a lot of snow but you can still see the glaciers right. part of my reason for wanting to go to go do this too was that these glaciers are disappearing wow. you know that the snows of Kilimanjaro will not always be there yep. so I wanted to make sure I got there before yeah, they were yeah, gone yeah. and then from from there we, you just um, we summit early in the morning so we only have a short distance to then go to summit so you summit you know right around um, sunrise which is around um, 630 mm-hmm. and then from there, you then go back to that same camp where we had been the um, previous, previous morning yeah. um, and had lunch. And then you can con- continue down from there. So you go down to about 10,000 feet. So you go from 19,000 feet to 10,000 feet mm. on that day seven. But you said eight days altogether. So what, it only takes you one day, seven days well, to walk yeah, up and one day to walk down? Yeah, or? that's the thing. Boy, it's a killer on the legs. Yeah. Be- it t- I think it was like four days before my legs felt normal again. So that's the challenge is uh, is you're going down relatively quickly. Yeah. And that's where it really wears on the, on the knees and the legs. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So we were out by, um, the, you know, we had one more night um, after our summit. That night we were at like ten thousand feet, and then the next morning, you know, or next lunchtime, we went out to like eight thousand or seven thousand feet. So it was a lot. Basically, except for that one day, it was just a long walk. Were you with friends, family, or anybody? It was a group. Uh, it was a locally organized group here in the Boston area through the Appalachian Mountain Club. They do these major excursions. Um, so most Let's of the talk people talk about were a local. bonding experience, huh? Oh yeah, and <laughs> and you know the interesting piece was I had signed up for it like a year before. Mm. Uh, so the trip organizer, who was just fabulous, um, and now runs a company that does uh, you know does Kilimanjaro trips. Um, we had gotten together throughout the year and done local hikes, and so we got to know each other before we actually were on the oh, trip, cool. which was really neat. Yeah. yeah, it was really neat. Now, see, I can get behind this. I, I might actually be interested in this. I'm not going tomorrow, but but um, you can do it. <laughs> but you can this do sounds it. like I could do it. I mean, I I I like. I've kind of gotten into hiking the last couple of years. Um, once I understood that it was really just kind of walking around in interesting places, I'm like, yeah, I, I can do that. Now, you contrast that to the people that want to climb Mount Everest, um, and those people are nuts, and 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 oftentimes not properly trained, and they just love the risk and all that. Mm-hmm. I take it that you had no interest in no, that. I have no interest yeah, in that. Yeah, I just saw a piece on John Oliver, and I've seen similar pieces about the the problems with Everest, including that, first off, people die every year, um, even with guidance and even with Sherpas, uh, there's a considerable risk. A lot of people, a lot of these tour companies are good, but then others are kind of fly by night. So they don't, they don't ensure that people have trained to do it and that can result in disaster. And then the other thing is it is such a tourist uh, particularly on the Nepal side, I think it's such a, a mm. tourist destination that they aren't motivated to regulate against people doing it because they're making so much money. And as a result, the the uh, that side of the mountain is is really getting 
polluted and there's all kinds of there's no uh, delicate way to put it there's human poop all over the <laughs> all over That's the right. and That's it right. and there's, it doesn't decompose because of the temperatures and yet it's slowly making its way down the mountain somehow which is just gross anyway uh, so Kilimanjaro I, I wouldn't have even have, have thought of that but you're literally like walking there are trails right yeah yeah so it's fun I love it. Okay, so listen, we've got a few minutes left. I promised um, some moments from the office as examples of office dysfunction. So uh, let's take a listen to this first one. This will be, um, you know, my hero, Michael Scott, uh, played by Steve Carell, managing two of his employees. Let's uh, fire this one up. Here's what's going to happen. I am going to have to fix you, manage you to on a more personal scale. A, a more micro form of management. Jim, what is that called? micro -gement. Boom, yes. Now Jim is going to be the client. Dwight, you're going to have to sell to him without being aggressive, hostile, or difficult. Let's go. All right, fine. <clears throat> bring, bring. Hello? Hello, this is Dwight Schrute from the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. Well, wow, that's great, because I need paper. Excellent, then you are in luck, because we are having a limited time offer only on everything. Wow, this is my lucky day. Ask him his name. What is your name, sir? I am Bill Butlicker. Really, that's your real name? How dare you? My family built this country, by the way. Be respectful, Dwight, please. Uh, yes, Michael. Could you hold on one second? That's my other line. What? No, but I... Hello? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just on the phone with this stupid salesman. He's so dumb. Probably just going to keep him on the line forever and not buy anything. <laughs> okay. It's up to you to change his mind. Sorry. That was a family emergency. Oh, no. What's wrong? You know what? That's private. Boundaries, Dwight. Come I'm on. I'm sorry, Mr. Butlicker. As I was saying, <sighs> we're having a limited... Speak up a little bit louder. I'm hard of hearing. He's hard if he's an old man. Okay. As I was saying, right now, yeah, we are having... talk louder. Okay. Our prices have never been lower. Son, you have Sir, to talk louder. Never been lower. Louder, but, son! Butlicker! Our prices have never been lower! Then stop it! Heat! <laughs> that is totally inappropriate. You never yell at the clerk. Right, maybe we'll cut no, it up there, although it just gets better. Uh, so, I, I think I picked that scene probably not so much for its uh, utility in our discussion, but just because I, I enjoy it. It's, a, it's one of the funnier <laughs> scenes. Fun. But there are a couple things in there. One... Uh, the idea of of really uh, well, as he says, you know, micromanaging it by his own admission and bringing his employees in and breaking down what they do. But then I have been in offices where the role playing is part of the uh, training, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know any thoughts on that, Mari. Well, you know, it used to be that um, managers wouldn't actually well role playing. Yes, I, I believe that that is. Um, <laughs> While not used all that often, it is a technique that is used. Yeah. Um, you know, it used to be you'd get that once a year, you know, review where you'd yep. be told either you're doing well, you're not doing well, you know, but and often there were surprises in those conversations. Mm -hmm. What's interesting here is that this is actually something, if it's done properly, um, managers coaching, you know, yep. their, you know, their employees and not micromanaging, so to speak, but to actually coach folks and help them understand what's working, what's not working, and really helping them identify what their strengths are mm -hmm. so that they can be using those strengths. 
you know, and being able to leverage those strengths in, in those roles. You know, clearly in, in this scenario, um, you know, the filter, you know, is a little missing yeah. here yeah. on the, <laughs> the salesperson's, um, you know, interactions. Right, right, right. He's got to learn to, uh, and, and, you know, the, the manager saying that's totally inappropriate, right? right? Well, you know, so in this case, a role play is actually probably a really good way to be able yeah. to demonstrate the behavior that is not working. I think it is, and it can be, and people hate it. Yeah, when, when I was in training for the my financial company, it, there was an extensive training program, and it was role playing every day. It was when you go in to meet with a potential source of business for you, what are you going to say? And just and play it out. And it was uncomfortable. And some people never really got comfortable with it because you know it's not real and you just feel stupid. <laughs> but <laughs> but it is, it, it, it absolutely has a utility. And, you know, even in this silly example that we used, it does show that the manager wants to um, break down what's going on and gives a crap about the mm -hmm. employee's performance. And, you know, I've done all kinds of sales training and stuff. And some better than others, but when you get together with just even having like, you know, mini, you know, rap sessions, you get together, say you got a, a sales team, um, get them together and just get them talking, like what kind of things have been working for you, what haven't, you know, and um, sort of along the lines of what we were talking about before, just a little, any little tips you might come away with are, are going to motivate you to be like, oh, sh shoot, I've never tried that before. Like, mm -hmm. hey, I went, did a sales call with a guy. He mentioned he was a big fisherman. And the next day, I just, I sent over this, like, just this fisherman's magazine that I just picked up at CVS because I said, oh, I just thought, I saw you and thought of this. And the guy called me right away. He said, this is great. You know, uh, I, I'm, I, uh, you know, I, you know, I love fly fishing and it was so nice of you to think of me. And, and and now you you've changed the uh, you know potential sale blah blah blah. You've deepened that relationship and you've showed that you cared. You were listening. That's what you demonstrated. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I got a clip on the subject of motivation. This is also from uh, the office. Seems like a basic reward system where you give us points and then we redeem those points for prizes. You're exactly right, and you get a point. Oh. <laughs> uh, is that a vibrator? Twenty points. How does one get a point? I've outlined the exact parameters in an email, so check your spam folders, but basically, <laughs> you do your job better, you get points. So, collect 15 points and redeem them for this polar bear. Why is it all kid stuff in a vibrator? It's so gross. There's lots of stuff. John Irving, Collected Works, 22 points. Or, you can pool your points and redeem 55 for this maternity shirt. <clears throat> How about you want us to work harder, pay us more? I can't. <laughs> this point system is really insulting. Ooh, well, I didn't mean to offend you, and I hope you'll forgive me because I am very, very sorry. 16 points. It's a tablecloth. What if we went all the way up to 500 points? Yeah, it's a crazy amount of points. But what if? Well, what do you want? I don't know. For such a crazy number, I'd like something pretty crazy. <laughs> all right, for 500 points, I will wear a dress to work. <laughs> And the episode ends with Andy, the manager, getting a, a tattoo on his butt because they achieve a certain <laughs> amount of points. So the whole thing kind of went awry. But th again, silly depiction, but there, uh, I, there are echoes of, of this in real business and, and struggling mm -hmm. with coming up with some kind of motivation system, right? What did you think? 
Mark? Well, I think w- what this demonstrates is the top-down kind of approach to some things. So, you know, he's outlined this in an email, and he's told them what it is that he is going to give to them and made selections of things that, you know, appear completely irrelevant to the, you know, the interests or <laughs> the, the... There's something in, you know, behavior called motive force, right? Is right. if if the, the gift, the prize, whatever it is, isn't, you know, of interest or isn't going to motivate me, then I'm not going to take any action to, right. towards that. This is a great example of when building these kinds of initiatives is to really make sure the voice of the workforce is heard. You know, understanding... Um, you know, first off, you want to understand what's getting in the way of their productivity, right? If this mm-hmm. is to get them to work harder or to, you know, be more productive, what's getting in the way of that productivity? Mm-hmm. You know, is it the culture? Are there things in the culture? Are there, you know, managers that are micromanaging, you know, whatever it might be? And getting the voice of the workforce so that when you do these kinds of programs, you're doing things that they are, that are really going to, to inspire and interest and motivate them. Mm. You know, otherwise it's as in this, it's insulting. Yeah. It's just yeah. plain insulting. Yeah. He didn't think it through like noble no. intentions, but he, he absolutely didn't think it through cause he's got a bunch of trinkets there. Yeah. And uh, you know, this has happened to me like uh, both ways. I remember doing a, some kind of sales contest where the reward was the winning team got uh, a lobster dinner served in the office by like me and a few of the other higher ups. We like dressed up as waiters and served mm-hmm. them lobster and they got a kick out of that one. Um, we did it, but then we did a different one. I guess I was just doing kind of a motivational thing like funny hat day. So wear a funny hat and then the person with the funniest hat gets a prize. But the prize were, were these like kind of crappy other hats. And this one, <laughs> and this one woman, she actually like made her own hat and it was really elaborate and she really got into it. And then all she won was just this like little ski cap that like someone had bought at CVS for four dollars, and so you could tell she was kind of deflated, and it just rang kind of hollow, and you know, right. so right, it's got to um, be sincere, and it's got to you know be something that's going to you know really interest people. Yeah, exactly. Let's listen to one more. This actually is not from the office. This is from the film Office Space, which I'm also a fan of. Who isn't really? Would you walk us through a typical day for you? Yeah, great. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh, I use the side door. That way Lumberg can't see me. <laughs> and, uh, and after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. <laughs> space out? Yeah. I just stare at my desk. But it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. Uh, Peter, would you be a good sport and indulge us and just tell us a little more? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something about TPS reports. So uh, fans of the movie will remember that, that that it's kind of the turning point in the film where he just sort of admits how miserable a place it is to work. And this is one of those places. Have you seen this film? I Office Space? Oh, no, I, I, I need do, to see it. No, you should. It's, it's, it's uh, a really nice satire of office life. And it is one of those classic places. You know, it's a tech firm. So it's a lot of like, you know, people who are just kind of staring into their computer for much of the day. And the cubes have the high walls, mm-hmm. and they're all just sort of isolated. And clearly, this again—it's fictional and it's kind of silly. But this this guy, the main character, has 
just kind of completely given up because he, mm-hmm. he earns a paycheck. He knows he can get away with a minimal amount of work. He's miserable, and I'm sure he punches out at 5 o'clock on the dot every day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So have you seen this in real yeah, life? Yeah, this is the classic disengaged employee. This is the bad, the, wait, the uh, the dive hive. This is the dive hive. This is in the dive <laughs> hive. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Well, actually, in the dive hive, they're working pretty hard, but it's uh, yeah. killing them, right? Okay. Even you worse know, in the dive hive. This, yeah. this one, this is even, yeah. yeah. This is classic disengagement. And, you know, the reality is that uh, based on the research from the Gallup organization, that this is actually a large part of the workforce is disengaged. Okay. Or they're they're looking for their next job. Yeah. So, he, you know, he's probably actually looking for his next job or not. You know, I mean, yeah, he hasn't, on the company's he, he, time, on the company's time, of <laughs> yeah. course, exactly. Yeah. You know, he hasn't voted with his feet yet. So something's keeping him there. Right. Um, but he's, uh, you know, of zero productivity, you know, and zero value to that organization. Yeah, it's 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 sad to imagine how many people are in the same boat as Peter in this movie. And there there are. Many and I and I've been there. I know uh, when I, I had a job at a law firm, which was um, I was grateful because it was my first job, and the guy kind of gave me a chance. And but um, it, there wasn't a lot of structure around my job. It became a case of me like going around to different lawyers and asking them, you know, can I do research for you? Can I do research for you? And then at one point, they were doing some kind of renovation. They're like. You know, we're gonna have to move your desk. It was it was almost like there's a moment in this movie office space where they keep moving this guy farther and farther away. Right. Eventually, yeah. he's in the basement, and they actually did this to me. They said we're gonna have you work out of the satellite space across the way. Now, it wasn't like it's not like it was dingy or anything. It was, it was totally fine office space, but I was literally the only person over there unless somebody stopped over to like access some of the books that they kept there or whatever. And so now they've put me in a spot where I've got to kind of hunt to to motivate to own work. I'm not really being evaluated uh, I'm still getting paid but I'm not no one's really paying attention to me and that does that happens sometimes right how long did you stay <laughs> well <laughs> it, it kind of took care of itself good question that the yeah. an, the answer is a year um, and then uh, surprise surprise they didn't have work to sustain me because they hadn't really planned this out they brought me on at a time when they were extremely busy and and then that was month one and by month 12 they know they had settled the, this huge case so they didn't have work for me and they hadn't really pl- i kind of knew what i signed up for and listen no regrets or yeah, anything i don't yeah. really i don't really blame them kind of was what it was but they didn't have a if they if 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 in hindsight they had kind of had a plan to motivate me and put me on certain special projects that could have continued then i would have been motivated to stay as it was there just wasn't a job at the end anyway mm. so it happens though yeah, right sure, sure yeah. does yeah <laughs> well we're up against the clock but mari ryan author of the thriving hive this book which is um I mean, it's got um, drama. It's got all kinds of advice you need to know about the business world. And it's got bees. And that's why everyone's buzzing about the Thriving Hive. Where do people find the uh, the book, Mari? The book is available on Amazon. It is available in paperback, in uh, ebook, and on also available on Audible. Very cool. Oh, so you can listen to you it. You can listen uh, to it. Short uh, listen, about three hours. Did you do the voiceover? I did not. I oh, hired okay. a professional. Oh, well, smart move, but I think it would have been great either way because you have a lovely voice. But thank you for, did you have fun? This is great. I may have to have you back again because um, I feel like we've just scratched the surface of this, all the office shenanigans and how we sort that out. So thank you, Mari. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. 
This is Dave. Once again, you've been listening to the Boston Podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, the United States Postal Service. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend or a colleague. Help us spread the word. If you like your own podcast, you can come visit us at our Westwood Studios. Find out how by visiting pod617.com. On behalf of Mari Ryan, this is David Yaz. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy. Enjoy your day, everybody. You must be the other guy.